Hello, my guest today is bringing blockchain technology to the analysis of combat sports, partly to make betting on them more interesting and skillful, and partly to provide data for marketers and sports professionals. His business is called Combat IQ. I'd like to welcome its co-founder and CEO, Tim Malik. Hi, Tim. Hi, Charles. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for doing this. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Now, we last met almost a year ago when you were finishing the Block Dojo program in London. And I see now that you are at Techstars. So perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about Techstars, how that happened and and what what goes on there. Yeah, you know, to be honest, for a while, we we were very, um, you know, averse to, to... working with another program, but the people at Techstars really uh, convinced us to join. So Techstars is another incubator program, right? No, it's an accelerator, um, but I just don't want to get caught in the loop of incubator, accelerator, and doing all these different programs. Uh, right. But we were it definitely explained the value of an accelerator and of what Techstars brings to the table. Just for those of us who are not that familiar with, what is the difference between an incubator and an accelerator? So an incubator is actually focusing at the very early stages of a business, almost always at the idea stage. And it's meant to build up the founder as a, you know, uh, as, a as a scalable executive that you have the, the, the knowledge to actually launch this business and scale it. And an accelerator is very much focused on the business, more mature, later stage. And they actually help you instill operational practices that you can then scale. Right. So Techstars also is just a general uh, business accelerator, uh, whereas uh, Dojo was all about Bitcoin SV. So what is it like now that your colleagues are from a a much wider range of of startup ideas? Yeah. So actually, we actually got invited to another Web3 accelerator with Techstars. This was powered by Polygon. Still using BSV, but but, uh, don't tell the Polygon guys. Um, But very much... Uh, you know, surrounded by fantastic people. Um, you know, this is one of the most selective accelerators in the world. It has a lower acceptance rate than Ivy League schools of under 1%. Um, so we're really fortunate to be able to, to get accepted in this. We're one of 12 out of 3,400 companies that, that they screen. Again, stepping back to, to fill in the story from, from when yeah. I last talked to you, when you were finishing at Dojo, you were raising money. And I think yeah. you're trying to raise 500,000 pounds for 20% of the company. How did that go? And, and where have you reached in terms sure. of building the business and financially? Yeah. So uh, actually, we had looked at that 500 and we said, we actually don't really need 500. Um, so we, we went and reevaluated our raise and we went out with a goal of uh, 250K. And then we ended up raising 275K um, and closed that quite quickly. And that was enough to build the prototype for what Combat IQ is. And then actually exceeded our expectations because that time we said we're going to raise this just to get to that next milestone and then raise again. Um, so we actually surpassed what we wanted to do. We've done real-time pilots with some of the biggest fight promotions in the world. Uh, sports leagues actually outside of Combat as well. Um, so, you know, really been able to, to pick up the traction front and now... I'm looking to raise a seed round relatively soon to scale our uh, operational capabilities. Great. Well, for those who are not familiar, perhaps you could just give us an outline of the business idea. Um, sure. It's a combat sports. And it's. Yeah. Um, I know that at Block Dojo, you were saying it was kind of bringing the uh, the world of uh, statistics and data to combat sports in, in the way that had been done with Formula One very successfully. 
Yeah, that's right, Charles. You know, the big thing for us is that we are essentially enabling real-time markets for combat sports for betting purposes. When we talk about combat, uh, you know, there's not a lot of companies outside of the UFC that have the ability to bet in play. Um, and with our computer vision models, we are able to extract in real time and provide those that data to betting companies. At our core, what we do is marketless motion tracking. We use cameras that are already at events to capture sports data, um, quantify it all in sub-second latency, so under one second from ingestion of video to output of data, and provide that to the league so they can educate and engage their fans in the same way as blue chip leagues like the NFL, MLB, F1. Um, and off the back of the data we extract, we analyze and deliver to those betting companies. Yeah, I've seen uh, on the front of your website, you've got some amazing uh, analysis of video showing, yeah. um, I don't know what it is, punch velocity or whatever. But yeah, what? Yeah. give me an example of what use can be made of those very detailed kind of stats that you're pulling out of, of, the, of the video. Yeah, of course. So the biggest thing that, you know, I always draw the comparison of the World Cup. Anybody that watched the World Cup in 2022, they would have seen that, you know, there's all this augmented reality. There are all these really cool things that broadcasters did. So one of the biggest things we can do with this data is actually enhance broadcast and maximize value for rights holding um, in terms of sponsorships, advertising, things like that. At the same time, this data, can, there's a lot of things that can be done with it, including community building, um, gamification, such as fantasy sports. Um, when we talk about MMA in particular, which is the beachhead strategy we approach, that's our initial league, but you know, focusing on a number of leagues at the moment. MMA is, is one that really hasn't been touched by combat, uh, touched by data, pardon me. Um, in MMA, there's three MMA leagues in the top 20 most valuable sports properties on the planet. Of those, only one has data on their fighters. Now, your avid sports better, your sports better who bets often, spends at least an hour a week researching a matchup using data. They're the most thing, the hungry, they're hungry most for data and insights before they place that bet. So we're, we enable that to happen and these people to engage with the data that is now present because of Combat IQ. So just if I'm going to be looking at a match that's coming up, just yeah. give me an example of the kind of data points that I would find sure. useful in terms of betting. Yeah. So, I mean, it would depend on the sport, obviously, but let's talk about mixed martial arts for a second. We are extracting everything such as the number of strikes that happen on the ground in clinch situations, which has largely been, you know, impossible for people to track. Um, you know, typically leagues are, are using four people manually to track these stats, and we're automating that. Now, we also capture things the naked eye can't see, such as the speed of punches and kicks. Um, this is something really we, we find pretty cool. Impacts the, uh, the final outcome of the fight. Um, and at the same time, we actually analyze which metrics have that impact. Um, right. So, so you know, whether we consider something impactful, another better may not. So having the data available to everybody to decide for themselves what matters is, is important. So how, as a customer, would I access yeah. that data? Sure. So what we do is we go to leaks and sell a white label solution. We provide data for them to put up on their websites, to engage with their fans so they can go out and build the community themselves. And, and we assist with that, um, but it really allows them to take the reins and ensure that community building is done in-house and maximum brand loyalty is there. Uh, now, at the same time, we, we would send odds to betting companies directly, and they would put those odds on their marketplaces for people to bet with. Really, most people wouldn't know we exist. We're in the background of the background, and that's where we like it. Right, because you've on your website, you describe three kinds of products that you've got, which are yeah. sports tech, media and yeah. engagement, and sports yeah. book. 
So I suppose yeah. sports book is what you were talking about there, where you would provide odds based on yeah. the data that you have extracted. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then just to dive in the other two, that's exactly what we do. For sports books, we provide odds, enable in-play markets. Uh, for sports tech, that's a lot of performance analytics related things. And then for the media, that's enhancing broadcast for, for rights holders. So to, to get, say, your first big customer, do mm. you have to get everything in place so that you're ready for any customer? Or are you sort of going to start small and, and build it up? How, how is the business going to develop? Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, I've always thought I've been one to try to make a big splash. Um, we've been working with some of the biggest MMA leagues in the world. Um, so, so very much in sh their requirements are a little bit, um, you know, more uh, demanding than some smaller leagues. So, uh, we have been having to, to get, you know, kind of ready to cater to them, but we, we made it happen. You know, we have the funding, we have the, the capabilities, the technical capabilities, and, you know, I got the drive for it. So, so we're definitely in the position to, to make it happen. So, uh, so have you got customers already then or what? Yeah. So we started doing uh, pilots not too long ago. Um, so we've gone through a lot of real-time pilots, and now we're in commercialization talks with a lot of these leagues. So we're at that at that phase. You know, they're long life cycle deals because this is B two B sales, and especially the space where we're creating a new technology, we're enabling a new technology that hasn't existed. It can be a little bit, you know, uh, there's a lot of due diligence to be done. So we're just in the middle of that. And just explain to me how blockchain comes into it and why that is needed. Yeah, of course. So the way we use blockchain comes down to our sports betting clients. When we deliver odds to sports betting companies, we actually publish those odds to the blockchain at the same time. And that's so we can create an immutable record for dispute resolution conflict settlement. So to put in perspective, DraftKings, one of the biggest sports books in the world, had to pay $10,000 on an $80 bet because the odds got messed up for one second. So by publishing to the blockchain, we can identify where that happened. Was that on our end? there and, and figure out, you know, kind of nail down where the error happened and uh, settle those conflicts. Right. Uh, so it is, it's on the financial side that the blockchain yes. is, is really of, of value to you. And, yeah. I mean, is that really just very much a sort of theoretical backup, do you think? Or is that, is it going to kind of come into the day-to-day -day business of Combat IQ? So I would say, I would say it's theoretical backup. I would say that um, our clients wouldn't know that we use it, but we know it adds value to what we do. And it creates a, a really solid ironclad record for us to then look back on. So it adds value to us as a business, but our end clients wouldn't ever know that we use blockchain. All right. Um, and so how many people are you working with? How many people, how many staff do you have at the moment? So we have seven engineers, I'm really happy to say, uh, you know, from all over the world. Uh, we've just onboarded a COO. Um, we have my CTO and myself, and then a, a team of really great advisors as well. Just going back into your own history, I don't know too much about it, but I was very impressed to see that you you appear to be very young, but you have lived in <laughs> Pakistan, Greece, Nigeria, Taiwan, Canada, and the UK, and that you yeah, speak and uh, Portugal now. Oh, and Portugal. Okay, <laughs> sorry, missed that. And um, how many languages do you speak? I speak four right now. Four languages, including Arabic yeah. and... Yeah, Urdu, Pashto, English. Right, amazing. And then I, I, I throw some others in there, but, you know, those are really <laughs> fundamental. Right. Um, so get, is it possible to give me a little thumbnail sketch of how you managed to live in all those countries and what you've been doing all this time? Yeah, so a lot of that, you know, uh, 
that's that's because my best friend, my dad. So my dad, you know, was a banker, career banker, and, and that took us all over the world growing up. And before I eventually went to boarding school when I was 13 years old. So it kind of started off in Pakistan where I was born. Then I moved to Taiwan in 1999. Then it was in Greece after that. Um, then we're in Dubai. Then we went to Lagos. Then over to Toronto and Canada where, where I call home. Um, and since then, since I've had my professional career, went through high school, university in Canada. I got hired right out of university to, to work in pro football as a scout. You know, left that in 2019 and I, I moved to Europe since. Um, so very much been uh, taking advantage of this place. I mean, it seems like you've got the um, the entrepreneurial gene in your in your blood somehow because I noticed. You know, now tell me where, tell me about this because I think you started a company during the COVID pandemic to import yeah. hand sanitizers to Canada and sell them to the Canadian <laughs> government. Is that right? That's right, Charles. And actually, that. That started off another business I had started with some friends. Um, I actually ended up starting as the director of operations and procurement for one of the largest mass distribution companies in all of Romania called Naguma Medical Supply. Um, so we went and started that. A couple of friends of mine who were real estate developers in Romania saw the, the pandemic as an opportunity. Um, you know, they, they essentially gave me a check and said, you know, find us 100 million masks so we can get these government contracts. I was able to do it, you know, brought us to the table at Walmart, all these other people. Um, and off the back of that, I went to start my own business in Canada where I imported hand sanitizer from Pakistan and China during the pandemic under COVID rules and sold to the government. How many hand sanitizers did you sell to the Canadian government? <laughs> Not as many masks, about 10,000 liters. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. But so how do you set about that? How do you, you know, if you haven't been in the hand sanitizer business, how do you set about yeah. getting getting hold of all those things? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I guess it's just luck of the draw. <laughs> it's a lot of me being proactive, getting on the phone, calling people in China, Getting on video chats to see that their factories actually exist. Right. Um, you know, I had some some partners that would go and audit them to make sure that they weren't scamming us. And then eventually, once due diligence is done, we could proceed with contract. Right, because you are taking a risk, I guess, because uh, of course, on both the buying and the selling. <laughs> I'm a risk taker. <laughs> but it all worked out well. Yes, it did. <laughs> Great. Well, getting getting back to to Combat IQ, um, I just yeah. wanted to ask you about the the betting side of it, because for an international business, that must be complicated because there are the betting rules are just different everywhere, aren't they? And how do you negotiate that? You know, what's, what's fantastic about what we do, Charles, we're not subject to the same regulations as betting companies. We are not a betting company, just to, to really hammer that away. We're a data company that caters to the betting sector. Oh. But what we do is we provide data. And that data they use within their, you know, in, in the way that they want to use it. Um, but that's all we do is we provide them the, the data. So there's no real regulation around being able to provide huh. that. That's very interesting because even providing odds does not count as being a betting company. Then. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Nobody can bet. <laughs> nobody can pay us to, to take advantage of our odds. All we do is right. we go to a bet365, for example, and say the odds of this fight are four to one in favor of fighter A. And so then they would take our odds and offer it to all of their players. And so then their players would bet through bet365. Well, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is when you do your analysis of the videos, which is how you turn, um, how you get the stats for a fight, yeah. do you have to buy or license those videos? Or if they're available online, are you able to just help yourself to them and, and do your analysis off them? Yeah. Sports data is a, a complex legal space. Um, you know, we 
Conceivably, we could uh, go down that road of, of extracting data from single ends, but what we do is we go to leagues to work with them. We like to do things the right way. Um, we're not here to just you know kind of skirt past uh, particular individuals in this value chain. Um, we want everybody to benefit from what we're building. So we go to the leagues to be able to access their video streams and then uh, from there help work downstream to make them money as well as us. Right, I see. So basically they give you permission as part of the deal to buy your yes. services. Exactly. Right. Well, and so, are you the are you the chief negotiator for the for the company? <laughs> I am right now. I am right now. But our CEO, I think, does a better job of it. So, um, likely bring him in on some of these. I mean, how much knowledge of individual sports do you have, and does it does it require in order to be a successful negotiator in this field? <laughs> A, a weird amount, I'll say, Charles. I know a little bit way. I know way too much about a lot of different sports. Um, so you know, I think. But I'll say that a lot of people in the space, you know, they think it's very sports heavy. Um, obviously, it's mm -hmm. great to know the landscape, what's happening. But it is a you know commercially driven industry, um, and numbers speak for themselves. So uh, you know, always rely yeah. on the basics of any business. I read a little bit about how Formula One has become so incredibly profitable, yeah. and. I mean, it's true that, as they, as you say, it's partly to do with the sort of data that they provide. Yeah. But also, I think there was uh, there's been a very successful uh, documentary series yeah, yeah, about absolutely. the drivers, and you know that brings the kind of human interest. I, I mean, is are you going to need to sort of provide that side of things as well? Do you think to really drum up interest in in, in combat sports? Yeah, you, look, you're absolutely right, Charles, that that documentary helped them a lot. But I will say this, documentary or no documentary, nobody wants to watch cars just drive around a lap with no understanding what's happening on a screen. Um, you know, until they introduce the visualizations, the data that people that can then look at, it, nobody was really, I mean, it wasn't that interesting for people. Now, the sport right. dropped half its viewership over eight years. And the reason for that was how boring it was. Now, the documentary drum up, it was able to drum up some interest again. But it was what they did with their productions, what they do with their events and post-event data that allowed them to capitalize on that initial attention and turn those people into avid fans. Right. Well, OK, let me just put the devil's advocate uh, case about the difference between Formula One and combat sports. I don't I'm not a combat sports sure. viewer, so I don't really know what I'm talking yeah. about. But it would seem to me that possible that Formula One fans are quite sort of techie oriented and like to know how much uh, you know, how many, what the tires are like and all that sort of stuff. Whereas combat sports, I would have thought, is a little sure. bit more in the world of theater. And that, you know, actually the velocity of a punch might not be of as, as much of interest to a to that kind of fan as a technic technical data might be to a, a, a Formula One fan. What, what do you think? Sure. So, Charles, I mean, that's that's a great point, but I will say this. The world of sports broadcasting, sports viewership is changing dramatically. As the younger generations get in here, they're changing the way people view sports, how they interact with it, and people are always looking for real-time information in convenient ways. Um, you know, fans want to see data points. They want to see these things that you can easily tweet, send out, put on Instagram, and that gives, tells them the story of what happened mm -hmm. in, the, in the event. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's very much a tech-heavy audience or not tech-heavy. Viewership in general what requires more personalization. Um, you know, football, one of the oldest sports, you know, in Europe and in the world, uh, they're now starting to introduce these really complex data overlays that you can watch 
at home on your laptop. If you're streaming the fight, you can click it, turn it on and off to be able to see all these different data points for betting, for engagement, education. At the same time, you can turn it off if you just want to watch as it is. Uh, but I'll say this. I, I, I'll go back to the sports better. Now, you talk about viewership. Sure. You know, people have their preferences. Some want to watch the stats. Some don't. When it comes to betters, betters want stats. Mm-hmm. The number one thing they're hungry for is data and insights. And we create that for right. combat. Are you almost finished with tech stars? What's, what stage have you got to there? One week from today is our final day, our demo day, where we are able to give our pitch for our seed round, um, which we open up at the end of May. So you're raising more money. Yeah, that's right, Charles. We're raising more money. Yep. Can you share the figure? <laughs> um, at the moment, I can't. No, just for uh, legal purposes. But uh, feel free right. to, you know, anybody that's interested can go to combatiq.io and reach out to find <laughs> out more. If if everything goes well for, for Combat IQ, yeah. which I, I'm sure it will. There's no if, um, it's a when. Right, sorry, when, when everything goes well. Um, will it be a household name or is it, as you said before, sort of something in the background that yeah. is known to your customers but not to the ordinary yeah. uh, fan? That's exactly where we want to be, Charles. We want to be the background of the background. We're happy to be in the shadows and, and help our clients really take the stage we're not looking to be front and center of anything um, and very much support from behind. Great. Well, Tim, it's been great talking awesome. to you. And um, I hope we can we can reconvene in a, in a year's time when you've got a massive business <laughs> awesome. to, Thank you so to much, talk bro. about. Uh, fantastic and, and really good luck. And um, awesome. let's keep in touch. Thank you, Charles. Thanks very much to Tim Malik. Now, in case you haven't heard or weren't paying attention at the start of the show, the London Blockchain Conference is happening in just a couple of weeks. So I'm delighted to say that my guest next week will be Calvin Eyre, the founder of Eyre Ventures, the world's largest utility blockchain-focused VC business, CoinGeek Media, and the London Blockchain Conference. I'll be asking Calvin about the big themes for those three busy days in London. So please join me for that. And until then, thanks for listening. And from me, Charles Miller, goodbye.